Welcome to the Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joshua Braff, and I'm here with my partner, farmer Adam Teitelbaum. We're going to continue our interview today with Chris Emerson of Level. We were discussing all the different options for how one imbibes cannabis, and I was asking Chris about beverages. Chris, there's so many different uh, new windows of ways to imbibe cannabis, and you guys are obviously on the cutting edge of that. We talked to someone who was doing a beverage recently. Have you guys thought about that, or um, let, are you, or is it sort of a let's let that startup handle that, and we'll keep ourselves unique by either bringing a tablet that disintegrates under your tongue, or uh, you know? So that's a great question. Obviously, as you're well aware, explosion in different types of products. There's essentially five different routes of administration that most people think about. Um, Inhalation, sublingual, under the tongue or in the mouth. You can ingest it orally, right? So then it goes through your body and it gets processed through the liver, which is why edibles can be really challenging because the edible, when you eat it, it actually goes into your liver and delta-9 THC is converted into 11-hydroxy THC, which is anywhere from 2 to 17 times more potent. And it's what really gives edibles their kick. And so... That's why the oil route can be really tricky at times. There's also topicals. So you get a topical and then um, you can do, you know, there's suppositories as well. And so there's a host of products to satisfy these different, these five different routes of administration. Beverages are really interesting. They have a host of their own challenges for different reasons. Essentially, you're trying to mix oil and water. Um, So dosing can be a challenge at times as well. But we really are focusing on um, vape cartridges still and then tablets. So we have the sublinguals and in another four months, we have a high dose tablet coming out that will take the place of, um, you know, a 25 milligram chocolate bar or something. It'll be a 25 milligram tablet that you just take. I see. Is anyone having bad experiences in that panicky state that some people get into beyond paranoia, you know, serious fear? Is anyone feeling that when they imbibe cannabis other than edibles. Is anybody telling a story where, you know what, I took this capsule and I got into a state of panic? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it's all about the eating. And you said the liver is involved immediately. And perhaps each of us has different ways of handling that. Maybe it's our different livers handling that. You're absolutely right. It has to do with the individuals. There's two components. An individual's own endocannabinoid system, which is why cannabinoids, you know, cannabis works in the body. We have receptors that really fit the molecules nicely. And then your own metabolism. So some people, they can eat 100 or 200 milligrams of an edible and they're fine or they're great. And some people, they have five and they are on the floor. And they have a story for a Exactly. They're not going to touch it for 10 years. Exactly. And yeah. So your own body, your body's own physiology and metabolism are crucial to your own experience with cannabis. And what we are trying to do as a company is there's a huge education around this to people of, listen, cannabis is a journey. This is really a journey of discovery of you and this plant medicine. I mean, humans have evolved, co-evolved with cannabis for far more than 10,000 years, but as far as recorded history. So we have an intimate relationship with it. And it's about really bringing that relationship back to light of how we can help humans re-engage with plant medicine in a safe and effective way. That was very well put. Adam, other thoughts? I really like what you're doing, Chris, and um, it, it's it's the type of thing that uh, definitely excites me hearing hearing about uh, some what so many different people are doing. And uh, we haven't spoken with somebody who's uh, doing exactly what you're doing. There's so um, much thought in the evolution. There's a lot of startups, and there's a great amount of thought 
into how people can approach it differently and also this sort of a kind approach and language to people who are stigmatized or pushed away generationally. And um, certainly a company like this opens up certain possibilities for people because you're not dealing with something that's just going to hit you over the head. The company is called Level out of San Francisco. And Chris, tell us how to how people could reach you or, or learn more about you, the website and such. So the website's www.levelblends.com. Um, again, the company's name is Level. And you can go to levelblends.com. You can check us out online. We um, have all of our product information online and you can contact us that way. Uh, also, you can check out our Instagram, which is level.blends. Hey, Ed, I do, I do have one more question for you, Chris. I'm sorry, what do you call them? Do you call them pens? Do you call them vape pens? What, what, what is the product exactly? Yeah, the vaporizer cartridge. Okay, so, yeah. so are now those, are they just that you hit it and you take in whatever amount you do, or is yours like a regulated amount? So we, we actually have two different types of delivery systems. The industry standard is a 510. It's called a 510 because of the thread on it. So those, you know, it's the classic, you press the button on the battery, you inhale, those are not a metered dose at all. That's more just, you know, the person has to titrate their own dose. So it takes a little bit of experience, especially for um, inexperienced users. Very bad for beginners, really. It, it can be, especially, I mean, the cartridge market is so potent nowadays, you know, where you have cartridges that are upwards of 85% Delta 9 THC. It's what a lot of the market wants, but for new users, it can be a lot. And so that's why we also have the CBD line because it really helps onboard people. So it allows people, the CBD helps mitigate a lot of the psychoactivity. And so what we do for a lot of beginners is we start them on the three to one, they build confidence, they can use the cartridge and get used to it and see if they even want to smoke and then move them up to the one to one and then eventually up to the one to two. And, and it usually gives people a really gentle onboarding process. That's a big That's really deal. Interesting. And you, you called it right there. You said smoke, which almost sounded like you said it in quotes to me. Um, <laughs> because uh, it seems like, you know, is a vape pen really vaporizing um, at the temperature that, that some of these batteries are, are getting to? Uh, or is it smoke or is it somewhere in between? Um, I've heard people discussing this and I don't know what the answer is. It's definitely somewhere in between. Ultimately, these are there's a heating element that is in direct contact with the oil. And so when you close the circuit and you um, heat this up, you, ha you do have material that's in direct contact. And then that ultimately will you know dissipate heat and hopefully volatize something so it's somewhere somewhere in between okay that makes sense and that's the 510 thread we also are on in the pax system i don't know if you guys are familiar with the pax era sure okay so the pax era is a it's meant for cannabis oil only and even though it does have a wicking system it has a very different kind of delivery style and to circle back on your question, Adam, it isn't metered dose either, but it does give you more gentle pulls. And so you don't get okay. necessarily as much plume. And so that system actually is a, is a pretty, is a really nice flavor experience as well. Are we good, Adam? I am good. I'm great, really, <laughs> after that ISS caviar cone. <laughs> thank you so much, Chris Emerson of Level, and thank you also for your expertise in the language. When we have a scientist on, it is such a good feeling that people are going to hear how real this is uh, through a, a very earnest person who has studied it and cared about it for a great long time. 
and um, it's important for people to hear the language of of professionals in the new reel. So thank you again, Chris. Yeah, yay science, and thank you, Chris, for being a scientist in the cannabis industry. The more that come into it, I think the better that the product will get for consumers. So thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Josh and Adam, really appreciate you guys uh, giving us this opportunity. And we just want to help normalize cannabis, bring it out of the closet and remove the stigma and a lot of the negativity that that still surrounds it. Right. The demystification of this product that was put in the doghouse so long ago. Let's let time evolve a tad and have Chris Emerson back because I'm sure he's going to have a whole bunch of new stuff to tell us. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. We'll be right back on The Cannabis Corner. To you, our fans and listeners, thank you for your comments and suggestions for guests. And to answer one of the big questions, the advertising we've done up to now is for companies and causes we believe in. The production of our show and its professional pace and sound is funded by us. If you'd care to help us with more episodes of The Cannabis Corner, you can donate any amount by texting CBD to 555-888. That's text CBD to 555-888. Farmer Adam and I are so grateful to you, and we look forward to continuing in our crucial and shared cause. And now more with our interview with attorney Tsian Sunshine Lencho. We were discussing incarceration around the country and the notion of expunging the records of those who've been charged with cannabis misdemeanors and felonies. So it's a very, very volatile time in that the jails are filled on the East Coast and perhaps every day you're hearing about a new state taking on legalization. Mm-hmm. So, as was discussed with Senator Cory Booker, there has to be thoughts of expunging records. These are human beings who need to be returned to their families and returned to the American system. Yeah, and I think um, it's really interesting to think about the solution. So I remember listening to an earlier podcast where they talked about Proposition 64 here in California and what it meant to have the opportunity to reduce your sentencing and to expunge your record. And, um, you know, people may not realize this, but we had Prop 47 in California previously, which was effectively the same as Prop 64 to a certain extent. And that alone was extended because there were far more people who were eligible than who were able to go through the petition process because it's not it's not automatic in California. You have to go county by county to expunge your record and you have to go before a judge to do so. And so getting those mechanisms um, moving in an efficient and, and quick way has been a challenge. And so currently in California, we have an assembly member Rob Bonta, who has a pending bill, AB 1793, that will allow for automatic expungement. So we don't have to go county by county trying to pull up people's arrest records. And I believe um, the federal bill that uh, Senator Booker is championing, along with uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, would allow for that automatically as well. Um, Because ultimately, any step that people have to take to get back to being able to reenter is a step where people might fall by the wayside. And if we truly believe that this is supposed to happen automatically with legalization, and we're not going to criminalize people for possessing a gram of cannabis, those people in Atlanta that got arrested over the holidays for a gram at a party shouldn't have to go through a full court process to, if they end up with charges to remove something so ridiculous from their record. It should just be automatic without me having to leave my house. Right. Getting this ball moving is crucial. Uh, In the next five years, I hope to see real change. Um, It takes people like 
uh, Senator Cory Booker and and certainly Sunshine Lencho to uh, begin that ball and uh, expediting it is crucial. Adam, other thoughts? Yeah, Sunshine, have you uh, seen then an increase in the minority population being involved in the cannabis industry in California? That is, and if so, is it happening? You know, at the ownership level because you know that's where you really make money in this business, unless you're maybe a scientist or um, a executive in a, <laughs> in a big firm or something. But have you? Are you seeing? And are you having an impact? Are you seeing a change? Yeah, so actually, um, one of the the positives to come out of the conversation around what legalization means and how you go about it is that Oakland, California was an incubator. I was on the Oakland Cannabis Regulatory Commission for a time as the mayor's appointee. And while I served on the commission and and shortly after Supernova launching in 2015, we had a council member, Desley Brooks, bring forward a demand that we write our ordinance on the local level to include and prioritize people who meet certain criteria. And so actually, you see now these, quote, equity programs popping up all over the nation that prioritize people with the exact backgrounds that were previously kept from employment as business owners. So while we cannot talk about race on a state legislative level, there are proxies for race, socioeconomic status, neighborhoods and such. And Oakland was the first place to say, we would like to prioritize business ownership and offer economic development for those neighborhoods that we know were targeted and hard hit by the war on drugs. Because you can see basically based on where you are in the city, whether or not someone would have, har- would have harassed you for public consumption, for example, of cannabis. And so those people are in the pipeline currently for priority licenses for all business types, including testing labs, right? And so this will be the first experiment in trying to do so. And every city has improved upon the Oakland model. Oakland had a director of equity who joined the conversation a little later because she hadn't been hired yet. And she did a full study of what it meant to be prosecuted and persecuted in Oakland, who was prosecuted historically going back to the 90s, not just when we started this conversation about legalization and um, used sort of social science to come up with a program to help people. Los Angeles is taking that a step further. L.A. has a whole licensing regime. So as of January 15th, L.A. didn't have any licensed dispensaries on the state level because they hadn't implemented their local permitting process. The first phase will be the people who got grandfathered in. The second phase will be these equity businesses and people who incubate them. So you also see something coming out of this conversation where people are able to join together to help facilitate navigating all of these licensing schemes. People are offering them zero interest loans eventually, technical assistance, so that if you can't afford to hire me um, as a full-time employee for your business, you'll be able to at least be able to get a lawyer who's competent in this area, who can help you figure out your lease agreements, who can help you figure out your structuring, and can help you paper your deals, because that's another barrier. Um, And then, you know, you have other people working on access to banking so that people can legitimize their businesses further by having accounting records and bookkeeping records. And so I imagine that if these programs continue to be championed, if these programs are given the actual resources that they need, you should see significant business ownership by people of color, at least in California and the major markets, Oakland being one. San Francisco also has an equity program they're working on. Sacramento has an equity program and Los Angeles. And if you if you have Los Angeles alone, what does that cover like the state of Colorado's market? So I think you'll see a lot coming out of that 
Another parallel is the state of Massachusetts. They've got equity programs in their draft regulations. So we'll see what happens. But I think hopefully we'll see the tide turn in terms of business ownership. That's great because, you know, Colorado's missed the boat in terms of that because we were so early in the game. So it's good to hear that that is happening. And I'm really happy to hear that you're uh, making an impact in that area because I think it's extremely important and shouldn't be overlooked. Absolutely. And then just in terms of the employment opportunities, you have Local jurisdictions encouraging employment for the populations that would have been excluded based on their records, right? So L.A. mandates certain or encourages certain workforce hours come from people who are chronically unemployed. This is an opportunity to address a lot of issues that society is facing. One of them is the criminalization of people, but the other is the chronic unemployment and homelessness that we're facing nationwide. And so you hear from different cities that they're trying to address certain problems, not just the cannabis issue, but also how can we get people to work at um, well-paying jobs, which the cannabis industry promises to to provide if we can work out our tax issues. I I know out here um, in Aurora, Colorado, I know they had made some news about using substantial amount of their tax funds from cannabis sales there to help the homeless population and trying to reduce that. So, you know, via taxes, there's a way to have an impact like that as well. Yeah, the notion of a person who with a long sentence for a nonviolent cannabis crime coming out with an expunged record and being given employment, let's say, in the cannabis field. It's an interesting equation. And also with an epidemic of homelessness, which it's, it appears lately that um, San Francisco and Oakland have a – the homeless issue has become worse. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps in the equation, there is work for them as well. Of course, the country has to come to terms with the fact that cannabis is not a dangerous element in any way and is a bridge to a lot more healthy possibilities for people who are currently on prescription drugs or alcohol. We keep hearing this more and more, surprisingly enough – Cannabis is out of the doghouse and finding itself on its own level as far as a very important holistic element. I, I want to mention something, though, that's kind of funny. It's, a, it's like a guy taking a step backwards. Down in Colorado Springs, which is the more southern end of our state and probably the most conservative city in the state of Colorado, I can't remember his name, but their local congressman, uh, representative, wrote a like an editorial in the paper backing up Jeff Sessions and saying, you know, how terrible cannabis is and the scourge. And he basically got laughed out by everybody, his colleagues, uh, people he represents, etc. So there are still some of these, you know, that, that exist. And it's uh, for here, it's almost like playing whack-a-mole and people knock them down <laughs> right away. And say, are you kidding me? Let me throw a ton of stats at you because now we have a lot, a lot of data as far as what's happened with legalization. And guess what? The news is really good out of Colorado, and I'm sure it is out of other places too. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, um, the opioid crisis is finding its numbers lessened in Colorado. Is that true? Yes, certainly. And that's why I know, you know, there are people who want to bring this legalization to states like Ohio, where there's huge, huge problem with an huge opioid problem, addiction. Yeah. Yes, we're seeing ours, ours reduced. So why not bring it to a place uh, like Ohio and help reduce their horrible opioid addiction issue. Yeah, the truth is a powerful thing. You have to be willing and open to hear it. And I think some of the things Sunshine was saying about her upbringing was, of course, kids who grew up in the 80s were not privy to the fact that this might be 
healthy for you on a whole bunch of different levels. Some kind of harmony, sleeping better, uh, losing the migraine without taking a pharmaceutical, um, anxiety. We are an anxious country for good reason. And so uh, Farmer Adam and I get excited when the world begins to open up to the possibility of saying, guess what alcohol is for real? I mean, you're celebrating it on these Super Bowl ads, and it it sends families reeling, and um, there's real disease there. So prohibition is an interesting topic as it pertains to cannabis in 2018. Sunshine, tell us a little bit how one would reach you if they were looking for an attorney. How do you feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I cannot represent people currently, which is unfortunate. And frankly, if I have my way, I won't ever represent people um, for the rest of my career. My goal is to emulate some of my heroes that have JDs, which is they practice for a little bit. They got a lot of experience and then they hire other lawyers to do the work for them. So if uh, if people are trying to find competent cannabis attorneys, I would direct them to the National Cannabis Bar Association. It's the first bar association of its type. I think I'm still in their director and working on removing that information. Please do not contact me at that contact. Um, It's an email address I do not read anymore. But they have um, been the thought leaders in trying to standardize the legal education and to try and facilitate attorneys from around the nation meeting with one another, having dialogues about what is it like to practice in Colorado versus Washington versus California versus Oregon. Each state is really idiosyncratic and very few people like to read regulations in their free time like I do. Like I care about what kind of social consumption laws are going to be in other markets because I travel. And so I'm going to go read what Massachusetts has and its draft regs. But not everybody has that time or um, or, or competency. So I would direct people there. If they want to learn more about Supernova Women, we are most active on Instagram because the visuals are what really drives people these days. They don't necessarily have time to read a lot of um, text. I don't. Um, I read for a living. And so our Instagram is Supernova Women. All one word, no underscores, no capitalization. Or you can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash supernova women. For people who are in the Bay Area, we are co-hosting an event on February 24th with Impact Hub San Francisco. It'll be on a Saturday and it will be free to attend. And we're hoping to bring people together to talk about how do we get here? What, what's happening in California in February 2018? And what does it mean for San Francisco to have an equity program so people can understand what that means? so that they can start applying for these these roles. As Adam said, ownership is really a meaningful aspect of this social justice conversation in cannabis, and we want to make sure people are aware that they can own businesses specifically in San Francisco. And then finally, we've partnered with the National Cannabis Festival, which is an event that takes place in Washington, D.C. annually over 420 weekends. So I believe it's 421 and 422 this year. And um, we are, we're partners with those people and we'll be part of uh, the Advocacy Pavilion. We'll be participating in the employment panels and also tabling. So if people want to learn more about that, that will be on April 21st with the National Cannabis Festival. And finally, we'll be launching a voter registration drive because I think people, the other aspect is with continued criminalization is people get disenfranchised or don't know that they've actually been re-enfranchised based on their having served time. So Florida has a ballot measure that's going to go before their voters to re-enfranchise the population there. One in six 
African-Americans in Florida can't vote because of their felony conviction. That's a lot of people. And California specifically allows people to vote once they've served time, but most people don't re-register. So we're going to try and get that done. And, you know, if you get the, what is it, the sixth largest economy in the nation or the world, excuse me, thinking about this um, and voting, um, I think that's a really powerful sea change for sort of a national conversation. This has been such an informative uh, interview, and we're, we're so grateful to you. Um, we'd love to have you back, too, because as this evolves, uh, you can see how everything's going to change quite quickly, and your language has been very, very helpful to me. Thank you so much. Tsian Lencho, known as Sunshine. I say Tsian for her dad. Who wants <laughs> to hear that. He named her. He named her. And uh, we're so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sunshine. Thanks, Adam. Farmer Adam and I are so grateful for your listening, and thank you for your suggestions and thoughts on guests, too. Don't forget to look for us on Insta and Twitter, and we'll see you next time on The Cannabis Corner. Mm-hmm.